All right, welcome to the Free Stretch Week 15 edition here on JoeBucksFan.com. Brought to you by Bill Curry Ford. It's a victory edition of the show. And anticipating hopefully another victory edition of the show after Sunday in Green Bay. Either way, we got a lot to get to. The Bucks get it done in Atlanta and change the complexion of everything we're thinking about, everything we're talking about. And now go up to Lambeau Field where they'll try to win in December for the first time in franchise history and where they'll try to win in any time of year for only the third time since 1990 as the Bucks are 1-14 at Lambeau in the regular season since 1990. And, oh, yeah, we'll tack on another dub. You may remember the 2020 NFC Championship game. That one counts, too. But the only reason any of it means anything right now is because of the way the Bucks, to their credit, uh, let, let, let's we've been hard on the Bucks this year when it's been merited. we got to give credit where it's due. And I'm not saying they played the game of the century or anything this past Sunday, but when it was on the line and Atlanta took that late lead and there was only a little bit of time left and the Bucks had to have an, a, a field goal would have merely forced overtime, which I think we all would have taken. But they go down the field, Baker Mayfield, who did not have a good day, who completed under 50% of his passes, made two huge throws, one to keep the drive alive to Chris Godwin, where if they don't get it, they're done. And then, of course, the touchdown itself to Kate Otten. And the Bucks get out of there with a big, big W. A game that they probably shouldn't have won, much in the way of the game against Atlanta here in Tampa a few weeks ago was one they should have won and let get away. So it all evens out. They split the season series with the Falcons. They are tied with them and the Saints, for that matter, atop the NFC South, have a narrow hold on the tiebreaker. All of these things could shift over the next few weeks. But let me tell you something right now. There are, this isn't college football where there's games with 25-point spreads and all that stuff. This is the NFL, okay? There are no bad wins in the NFL, number one. Number two, there sure as hell are no bad division wins in the NFL. Number three, there sure as all hell are no bad road division wins, and certainly not when the division lead is on the line in December. So, like I said, wasn't the game of the century they played or anything like that, and we will nitpick some of the things that should be better. But at this juncture, and considering where this coaching staff is, I don't know if I'll use the word embattled or not, but they're fighting for their lives. Okay? Huge win. And it's amazing how fine the line is. Like, I don't think, I always try and stress this every season and every week when I do the show about how fine the line is between what we perceive as success and failure and the way we look at things and the way we think of things. I mean, the Bucs are a 6-7 and seven team right now. There are seven teams in the league that are 7-6. and six. There are six more that are 6-7. and seven. That means out of 32 teams in the NFL, there are 13 of them, nearly half, not quite, 13 of them that are within a game of 500 in either direction. The big jumbled up middle, which the Bucs are part of, rightfully. I mean, that's, that's about where they are. But if they lose that game on Sunday, and again... All that would have been needed to change that outcome is one bounce, one penalty call, one play, let alone one drive. I mean, one little tiny thing changes the outcome of that game. Coup, their all-everything all kicker for the Falcons, missed two field goals, including one off the upright. There was a million other little plays in the game that could have gone either way. 
And this is how most games in the NFL are. I mean, every year out of your 17 games, you're probably going to have maybe two or three or four that you win clear-cut convincingly and another few that you lose clear-cut convincingly. But most of them are going to be like that. One call, one play, one decision, one mistake, one thing, just one, and it submarines the entire endeavor. Okay? But literally, any of those things could have been different on Sunday, and we're sitting here talking about how the franchise is in complete tank mode, how we're firing everybody, completely restarting from the ground up after total nukage, but they find a way. They pull it out, again, by the, the thinnest of margins, by a hair. And we're sitting here calculating playoff odds. We're sitting here looking at future schedules for the Falcons and Saints. We're sitting here talking about, hey, they could even get a wild card. I mean, all these things that we're talking about, and the Bucs aren't really any different of a team. I don't know about you. I mean, they impressed the hell out of me with their guts coming back to win. But as far as how I view the Bucs as a team, I don't feel any differently today than I did before the game on Sunday. Like, I don't feel like they're better. Like, they won the game, but I don't feel like, oh, yeah, hey, impressive. They're a good team. No, I still feel like they're about what we all had thought they are for a while now. They're a middle-of-the-pack team and maybe even a little below average. That hasn't changed. I mean, the game in Atlanta didn't convince me of anything otherwise. But perception and feelings are real. Whether they're justified or not, perception and feelings are real. <laughs> and like I said, we're here. I'm looking at the Falcons' final four. Yeah, well, that's on the road. They got three or four on the road. I'm looking at the Saints, all the, doing all these mathematical calculations in my head, trying to figure out, looking at the New York Times playoff tracker, on and on and on, all because they caught a couple of breaks and found a way to win the game. And if they had lost that game, it'd be like the Bucs are like the worst team in the history of all football. Like we'd be, we'd be totally out on everything. And I know a lot of people, you know, all this could still happen, by the way. I mean, the Bucs didn't clinch the division on Sunday by any means. They merely stayed in it. So all the things I'm talking about that are negative could very well still happen if they lose three of their final four or something like that, which could easily happen. And maybe they win three of their final four or something in between. We have no idea. But what I do know is this. We are now entertained. We are now engaged. We are now invested in a way that we would not have been had they not been able to win that game where it all would have been done right there. They would have been DOA on the 50-yard line of that plastic turf field at the Mercedes-Benz Dome, whatever they call it. And now there's life, and the Bucs are going to Green Bay as the NFC South leaders and hoping to leave Green Bay the same way. It's not going to be easy, and we'll talk about that today. Like I said, just throwing some numbers, and if you've been a Bucs fan for a long time like I have, you remember, I remember back in like, like I said, back pretty much once Brett Favre hit the scene in Green Bay, winning at Lambeau was like some impossible dream. Like even in the years where the Bucs were halfway decent, because there was those seasons in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they were still in the same division up until 2001 was the last season of the NFC Central. So they'd play there every year. But even in years when the Bucs were good, winning at Lambeau was just off limits. And like I said, the Bucs all-time in Green Bay are 8-20, and 20, but since 1990, they're 1-14. They've never won there in December. And it was just one of those things where they'd find a way to lose. I mean, I remember them being so close a few times. And they'd be like, this is it. They're going to finally win at Lambeau. And it wouldn't happen. I remember Martin Gramatica, friend of the show, love him to death. But I remember him and I think it was 2001, having a, a kick in overtime that would have won the game. Or he was either overtime or the last play of regulation. And it would have made the Bucks the number two seed with a first-round bye if he makes that kick. He missed it. Packers won later on. 
Bucks dropped to a five seed, went on the road for the wild card in Philadelphia. You remember how those things went up until 2002. Bucks lost. Tony Dungy got fired. There goes that fine line again, though. If he had made that kick, I don't know what would have happened. And the Super Bowl was in Tampa that year. It was the year the Giants eventually uh, lost to the Ravens. But uh, my point is, Lambeau's been a tough place. And it's a tough place for a lot of teams, not just the Buccaneers. In fact, right now, Green Bay has won 16 in a row at home in December under Matt LaFleur. So it's a tall order. Now, the weather is going to give them a little bit of a break as breaks go. The high is 40, which should be right around kickoff. It's a 1 p.m. kickoff. Maybe the high will, or maybe the temperature will be technically below 40. Remember when the Bucks never won a game in a kickoff temperature below 40? And they've only got a few since then, but they've done it at least. But the 40, uh, 40 is the exact high. We'll see if it, you know, what time it is when it happens at 1 o'clock or whatever. And the low is only 31. And precipitation... I think the chance of that is less than 20%. And even if it was, I think it'd be rain, which is actually worse than snow when it's cold. But anyway, it should, the weather should be fine, as football weather in December in Green Bay goes, at least. So, you know, I, I don't love Green Bay. I don't love the Bucks coming off a big, big road division win and going on the road for the second week in a row. And I don't love Green Bay coming off a really bad road loss. I think the trends, we always talk about trends and angles and like historic plays, like, you know, teams in this situation are, you know, 120, 28 and two all time. I, I haven't seen that yet for this game, but I feel like it's probably a really good spot for Green Bay and not a good spot for the Bucks. I hope I'm wrong. I would prefer Green Bay had won that game against the Giants on Monday night, and they did not find a way to do that against Tommy DeVito. But it also goes to show, I mean, all these, and Green Bay is one of those 13 teams, you know, within a game of 500, like I was saying before. All these teams are right there with each other. There's not that much difference. And what decides these games is often, not always random, but there's a lot of things that happen during a game. Many are random, some aren't, and you don't really know what they are until you see them happen. But the line is fine, and the Bucks, at least for one week, were on the right side of it in Atlanta. We'll see if they can do it again in Green Bay. Email me if you want to. BobbyGameDay at Yahoo.com is the email address. B-O-B-B-Y-G-A-M-E-D-A-Y. BobbyGameDay at Yahoo.com. On Twitter, you can get me at BobbyGameDay. But going back to the game in Atlanta, just real quick, then we'll start looking more ahead at Green Bay. Okay? Like I said, Baker Mayfield, not his best day. And, you know, Baker Mayfield's numbers, if you look at him overall, he averages out to about a league average quarterback. He's a middle-of-the-pack guy. Ranks somewhere in the teens, EPA per play, you know, all the different metrics you want to look at. He usually comes in right in the middle. He's not bad, but very rarely does he actually play average football. He's just one of those guys. He's a high-variance guy, so some average guys are just that. They're average most of the time. Baker Mayfield mixes in spurts of being really, really good, like, oh my god, this guy, and some other spurts of being pretty bad, so it evens out to an average grade, but very rarely is he average. Like, that's not, you know, like I said, if you look at his, uh, if, if he was an EKG, if his performance was presented to you in the form of an EKG, it would look like a roller coaster at Busch Gardens. It wouldn't look like a, a relatively flat line, even though he ends up in the middle of the graph at the end of the day. And so, like I said, you know, he missed a lot of throws, and I don't think the Bucks' offense does him any favors either. I don't think the Bucks' scheme does him any favors, but he missed a lot of throws. He was under 50%, but on that fourth down to Godwin, a perfect throw, and Godwin, his credit, in traffic, reels it in, and then gets upfield. At that point, you're thinking, 
I was thinking at least, you know, this, we're in field goal range. This is good. But don't settle. Don't think field goal. Think touchdown. Think touchdown. You know, when, you know all, all a field goal does is get you to overtime, which is a coin flip, literally and figuratively. So it shouldn't be looked at as, hey, we're good. We're in overtime. Like that, that, you know, you want a, a chance to win the game, win the game. And to the Bucks' credit, they got aggressive. And then he lays in a beautiful floater to Kate Otten, who got behind his man in the corner of the end zone. Otten with three go-ahead touchdowns in the waning moments of games over the past couple of seasons. And so it was a really, really impressive effort there at the end of the game. The running game has shown a lot of signs of life over the past three weeks. And, you know, they ran the ball, even in Indianapolis, they ran the ball halfway decent, ran the ball well again against Carolina and had their season high 148 yards against Atlanta. And Rashad White had a big game. Although Joe put up a good post on the website, JoeBucksFan.com. Best place anywhere, TV, internet, radio, for Bucks coverage, by the way. But he put up a good post talking about his continued, uh, the continued frustration of both the Joes and Manny and the fan base with the way the Bucs are using Rashad White. Rashad White ranks third in the NFL in yards after contact, or yards after catch, excuse me, uh, when he's catching passes out of the backfield. And he does really well running outside. He's not really a power runner inside, and yet the Buccaneers seem to still want to just force-feed that part of his game. It's not a part of his game. And I think Rashad White has gotten kind of a bum rap in a way just because he's been used. I, I agree. If you go to the to JoeBucksFan.com, you'll see it. it's a few articles down now just because so much new, fresh content is always being posted at JoeBucksFan.com. But you'll see it there. And by the time this gets the podcast is out, it'll be even further down the page. But no, I mean, like, and Dave Canales, it feels like, and Joe said this, you know, it feels like he's running his offense from Seattle with Marshawn Lynch, which is not what Rashad White is. And the Bucs, you know, they got a huge touchdown from him on that screen pass, which was a great call given the fact that Atlanta was coming and, and blitzed, and they threw the screen, and then Rashad White had to make a couple moves in the open field, and he was gone, scored a big touchdown for the Bucs in the, uh, I think it was early second half. And just overall, like that, the Bucks have not really accentuated the really strong parts of his game, and they seem to be intent on hammering the not-so-strong parts of his game. And I think that goes for the whole offense. I mean, they've run the ball better, like I just said, over the past three weeks. What does the offense have to show for it, right? I don't think the offense did anything special in Indianapolis. They certainly didn't against Carolina. And against Atlanta, they scored 29 points. Now, one of those was set up by the Carlton Davis interception, which happened inside the five. A huge play by Davis. We shouldn't overlook. And so they scored a couple plays later on that one from inside the five. But that's pretty much a defensive touchdown. So they were right around their average. And, oh, and the safety was on the defense, too. So, yeah, what did the Bucks offense produce? 20 points? 21 points? You know, I mean, like, what? They scored nine, yeah, they scored 20 points, which is right about their average. And they scored 21 last week and whatever, 20 low 20s against the, the Colt. So it's not like the offense has been lighting it up, even with the run game improving. But it's pretty apparent now, and this is my one big complaint for all the other things we might complain about with Todd Bowles or Dave Canales or just the coaching staff in general. I don't think they want to be any better offensively. I feel like they've got the Tony Dungy ball 90s mentality of let's, you know, get a few first downs. Let's extend some drives. Let's give our defense some time to breathe. They'll win us the game. 
if we score some points, great, but it's not a priority. And, you know, hopefully we can get in there and, and have a third and manageable. And like I've said before so many times, I think ultimately the reason that we feel the way we feel about the Bucks is because we've seen that so much. And you pretty much get the feeling that that's what's on the menu and it's not going to change. And you think back to when the Bucks have truly been great, or any, of the, any team any year that wins the Super Bowl or the teams that are always around at the end. And, and not that the defense isn't a huge part of it, but those are offenses that can get the ball down the field aggressively, and they are aggressive in their pursuit of points and yards at all times. And it's gotten to be, I mean, the way things have gone this year, the pendulum swung a little bit the other way and defenses are having more success and it's not quite the way it was like in the past 10, 15 years, but it's still that way. And including the box. I mean, in 2020, y'all remember that offense? Like, that's what it's supposed to look like. Like, we know what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like. So it's hard to envision them winning or them getting to the point we want them to get to with a philosophy like this. Now, that doesn't mean the coaching staff can't adjust their philosophy based on their personnel. They believe right now with their personnel, this is the best way to go about things. I think they're selling themselves short. And I think this offense could do more. But as it stands, that's that's the thing. I think that's the thing that ultimately, you know, we're watching this team. They're middle-ish. They're 500-ish. Maybe they'll win the division. Maybe they won't. But I think the reason that people have their confidence level on the lower end of the spectrum with Todd Bowles, regardless of what ends up happening with the division or not, is because it doesn't feel like we can have that kind of offense. I know we had Tom Brady still in his prime in 2020, or what felt like his prime. And even in 2021, that was pretty much the case. And, you know, that makes a big difference too. But I, 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 I don't feel like we can be that team regardless of personnel with this current philosophy. Now, would they maybe change the philosophy? Perhaps. But it's a lot different with Bruce Arians' head coach, Todd Bowles' defensive coordinator, than Todd Bowles' head coach and Dave Canales, or anybody else, uh, probably. Because I, I don't think Dave Canales... I don't think Todd Bowles is telling Dave Canales what plays to call. And we've talked about that before. Like, how, how deep does this go? I do think Todd Bowles' overall philosophy is run the ball, get to third and manageable. That part I do think is an edict from the top. I don't think Bowles gets really detailed in it and tells him literally how to run it. That part I fault Canales for. But yeah, I do think there's something to the part where you know Bowles' influence as head coach on the offense is much different. Because even though they don't have Tom Brady, even though they don't have Antonio Brown, even though they don't have Rob Gronkowski anymore, they still, I mean, I, I really truly think they're selling themselves short. I think this offense could be better, and it does bug me watching these games to see us, uh, almost again, like the Tony Dungy days, try our asses off to see how few points we can score and still win. Like, ah, can we just win 20-17? to 17? You know, there's no rule. You're allowed to score 31 points. You can do that. You should do it all the time. But it feels like, nah, that's not our scene we don't want to do, like, it feels like they don't want to do that. And I wish they would. Overall, though, to this point in the season, you've got a 6-7 and seven team. You are fortunate to be in a poor division, but here are those numbers again, if you remember from the last time we brought this up. And that stat about the team that leads the league in dead money, 
each year over the past however many years it was. I can't remember, but we talked about the team that leads the league in dead cap money in any given season, which this year is the Bucks. They are usually like a 5-11, and 5-12 and 12 now that they're 17 games, maybe 6-11. and 11. A lot of times they've been way down there at 3-13, and 4-13, and 13, whatever, you know. It, it's usually not a good place to be. And the Bucks have $80 million in dead cap money this year. They have another $12 million worth on IR. Guys like Ryan Jensen and uh, like Russell Gage is another one, a few others. So that's over $90 million. That is 40% of your salary cap going to guys who are not playing right now. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you almost have to tip your hat a little bit to Todd Bowles for having him. Again, not that 6-7 and seven is what anybody wants to be, but it ain't that considering... If you told me those numbers before the season, yeah, you're going to have like almost half of your salary cap with people not playing. Lead the league in dead money. That's a bad recipe, man. (laughs) It's a bad recipe. So the fact that we're even sitting here in mid-December and we're talking about a big game, and again, the qualifier is I understand that the division is bad. But even without that, like I said, the wild card right now, 6-7, and and 7-6 is right there too. So it's not even just the division. Like they are, they are in there in the middle of the pack, which is not wherever you want to be. It's not always what you want. But in this case, we're sitting here on December. I'm recording this December 14th on Thursday afternoon, and we're talking about a big game with playoff implications at Lambeau, and that's about as much as you can ask for right now. And whether they win or lose this week, it's another big one the following week on uh, Christmas Eve against the Jags at Raymond James, 4 o'clock kickoff. That'll be interesting, by the way. I don't think we've ever had a 4 I remember a couple of uh, Christmas Eve home games, but I don't remember ever having a later one like that. That's going to get into... Uh, it's either going to be really awesome, and a lot of people are going to love it, or it's going to just throw a wrench into a lot of people's plans. I tend to think it'll be cool. But anyway, we'll talk about that next week. As for this week, you've got the Bucks, you've got the Packers, you've got a Green Bay team who defensively is 28th in DVOA, and their run defense is a big part of that. Not that their pass defense is that great. Jair Alexander should be back. He was out last week. They had a few guys out against the Giants that are supposed to be back. Christian Watson from Plant High School, right down the street from here where I am. He's uh, maybe right now. But this is a Packers team you can run the football on. And people have done that. And the Bucks, having run the ball as well as they have the past few weeks, whether you like it or not, I guarantee you they're thinking, yeah, hell yeah, no, we're going to run the ball again. We're going to run it more and more and more. And they're going to try and win the same way they've won the past couple of weeks. Now, Green Bay's offense is pretty decent. Jordan Love's played a lot better. Like I said, Matt LaFleur is one of the better coaches in the league. And Green Bay's a very difficult team to play against at Lambeau in December. And there's a reason they've won 16 in a row in such situations beyond just the Bucks. It's not just the Bucks that have trouble up there. It's everybody. So we'll see how that goes. As far as the Buccaneer injury report looks, that is a little better. Devin White back. At practice, and again, I'm recording this on Thursday, so all everything I'm telling you is as of Thursday's practice. You may be listening to this on Friday or Saturday or even Sunday. But Devin White was back at practice. Now, how big of a deal do you think that is? Honestly, I don't, I mean, you know, K.J. Britt and uh, J.J. Russell have both done pretty well. I don't think that Devin White's absence was really felt that much. Another reason why it doesn't feel like he's going to be back, certainly not for big money, if you've got a guy in his fifth, you know, his, his contract year and he was a first round pick and you're five years into it and you barely notice when he's gone, the backup guys are doing just fine. But anyway, he is back. 
Jamel Dean back at practice. But Vita Vea is still not at practice today. Doesn't mean he's out for Sunday. I'm just telling you as of Thursday. Vita Vea is still out. Will Golston still out? Carlton Davis did not participate, and neither did Chris Godwin. And so, and speaking of Vita Vea, that's another one where, and Vita Vea, they definitely do want back. But we got to give props there too. Greg Gaines. Up front, solid alongside Kalijah Cansey. And they both played a lot. Like, together, they played over 75% of the snaps. And if there's one criticism of Vita Vea, it's that, or at least the Bucks feel, I don't know if they're underselling him, but the Bucks don't feel he has the stamina to be in there for as many plays as I guess we'd all like. I mean, he doesn't usually play. A lot of times he plays barely half the plays or maybe a little more. But... Greg Gaines, Kalijah Cansey did a hell of a job stuffing the Atlanta run game on Sunday. So not that I, you know, don't want to see Vita Vea back. They definitely need him back. And the Packers can run the ball well. And they're getting some guys back from injury. But it was good to see that the Bucks showed the ability to show some depth up front there. And they're going to need it if Vita Vea is out again. That will remain to be seen. But here's where we're at, folks. And yeah, there's all these scenarios and there's all these things and there's even a scenarios where they make the wild card. I don't think, I still think the NFC South is it. You win the South, you get the home game or, or bust. And it's not because I don't think they can, I mean, the wild card race has teams with the same record as the Bucks do. I just think if the Bucks play well enough to beat those teams out for a wild card spot, that means it would probably also be good enough to win the South anyway. I just don't feel like second place in the South is going to be a team that wins three out of their final four, but the other team went 4-0, and oh, so they're both, you know, I, I feel like second place in the South probably will be 8-9 and nine at best, and I think it might take, and maybe 8-9 and nine wins the South too on a tiebreaker, who knows, but I feel like that's still the thing we're looking at right now, and Atlanta and New Orleans have a, they got tough games themselves in their next four here and there. The Bucs seem to have the toughest one, but one of the reasons is because of this game against Green Bay. And I don't feel like it's a good spot for the Bucs. I'll say that right now. I'm not predicting a loss or anything like that, but I do not feel like it's a good spot for the Bucs coming in off having one, two in a row while Green Bay comes in off a bad loss to the Giants. In the NFL, and we saw this, I mean, last week, my gosh, watching the Chiefs at home against the Bills, then on Monday night watching both the Dolphins against the Titans, and then, of course, the Packers. You, you, no matter what you think one week, it's going to regress to the mean. And when I say regress, I mean positively or negatively. You think that's a good team? Oh, let me show you this game here. No, hey, they're not a good team. You think those guys suck? Eh, well, let's watch the. Oh, well, maybe they're good after all. Seems how that's the way it goes a lot in the NFL. And so, you know, I, hey, this one, I, I'm not going to say it's one the Bucks can give. If they're going to lose, I guess the most giveable one would be Jacksonville because it's an AFC game. So besides the loss from a tiebreaker standpoint, it wouldn't hurt them the way a conference loss would. And certainly the two division games are the most important. I mean, if they lost, let me tell you right now, if they lost to Green Bay and lost to Jacksonville, but then they won the two games against New Orleans and against Carolina, that would put them at eight and nine. 5-1 5-1 and one in the NFC South, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I read that the New York Times playoff tracker, which again is not, I mean, it's a mathematical formula, who knows. But I think if they went 2-2 two and two and won the two division games, they'd be over 75% odds to make the playoffs. And I'm not saying I want them to do that. I think it'd be, I think right now, I mean, you're trying to win every game, they don't want to hear this, but if it, just from our standpoint, if they split the next two games 
That puts them in position. It's all right in front of them. Saints at home on the road against a one-win Carolina team. But if they win this game this weekend, now we really got something there. So we'll see how it all plays out again. It's you know Instead of getting all caught up in all the scenarios, just worry about one scenario. You either win or lose on Sunday, and the Bucks have a chance to do that at Lambeau Field in the regular season for the first time since 2005 and only the second time since 1990. Of course, there was also the 2020 NFC Championship game as well. Either way, it's going to be a fun one. And it's football in December in Green Bay with playoff implications. And that's pretty fun. So from a fan standpoint, which is what you are, which is what I am, which is what we all are, hey, we got everything we were hoping for at the beginning of the season as far as playing big games in December when it really starts to get real. So let's see. Hey, we might be right back here next week, and all of a sudden we're talking about firing Todd Bowles again. Maybe the Bucks lose a heartbreaker. Maybe they don't even look competitive. Maybe they win. I have no idea. But since you're here anyway, why not make it interesting for a little bit? So... Whatever you do, have fun. I know there's supposed to be that storm system coming through the state this weekend. Some weather could get a little bit wet and a little bit wild, especially I think Saturday night into Sunday morning is the, the worst of it, depending on where I know people are listening to this all over. But don't let it stop you. By Sunday at 1, it should be great. Have buddies come over, get some food, whatever, enjoy the ball game. It's going to be a lot of fun, little pre-Christmas thing. And we'll talk about it all next week. Thank you to the Joes at JoeBucksFan.com for giving me this platform. Single best place anywhere for TV, internet, radio, wherever it is. Single best place for Bucks coverage. Thanks to our sponsor, Bill Curry Ford. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Bobby Fenton. That's the Week 15 edition of the Free Stretch. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a 7-7 football team. But either way, until then, wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good night, and go Bucks.